0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking to read a story, know of a story, a development. As we found out earlier this week, and as we come to the end of Mental Health Week in Canada, I think it's particularly important that we talk about this. Kalia Posey was the 16-year-old winner of many beauty pageants, and she's a former child star, of a program called Toddlers and Tiaras. I don't know anything about the show. I did look at a photograph of um, Kalia that appeared in the news story, and it's tragic because she took her own life. And you wonder, what is it that would cause someone so young to decide that life isn't worth living? Someone who, and we would say this about anyone who's 15, 16, 12, 14 years. I just heard of a 12-year-old committing suicide a few weeks ago, and it's so heartbreaking. We ask ourselves, how could they do that? They have all their lives to live. And then you say to yourself, and you remember, that they don't have much life experience. These young people's life experience is what they've lived, what they've learned, what they understand. And over the last two years plus... They've gone through a lot of stress, a great deal of change in their lives. The absence of friends, the absence of school, being locked down because of the pandemic. It's been a very, very difficult time. We're going to talk about this, about young people facing great stresses and young people who take their lives. Mark Hennick knows about this, mental health strategist, has attempted suicide at 15 years of age. Uh, And he talked about it on the uh, TED Talk program. The video of that incident has been watched millions of times online, millions. Mark's life was saved by a stranger on that day. He's talked to us about that. He's also served as national spokesperson for the Canada-wide Faces of Mental Illness campaign. His book and podcast is so-called Normal, and he's the CEO of Strategic Mental Health Consulting. Mark, thank you for joining us. When when you see and you hear about a terrible incident such as Kalia Posey's ending her own life, it must resonate very personally with you.
1: Yeah, it really, it sure does. And and thank you, Roy, for not only having me back on, but for having this conversation. It's so important that we talk about even really hard things like suicide because. The tragedy here, every time I see stories like this, and sadly they're, they're far too frequent, the biggest tragedy for me is that it's preventable, that this doesn't need to happen, that um, mental illnesses don't need to be terminal. Yet time and time again, we're seeing this happen. And this is not a failure of the people who are struggling. This is a failure of the systems that are failing to help them. Uh, and I think that's really the what frustrates me the most, is that kids, young kids, are dying with their whole lives ahead of them and they don't have to. So I, I think that it's a, a reminder, a constant, an all too constant reminder that we can and we need to be doing better.
0: So the systems that are failing them, this is a tough question to ask, but does it begin in the home? Is it people who are closest to you, maybe not recognizing exactly what's going on in the young person's heart and mind? not seeing it, maybe not understanding the signals. Is that is that the beginning of it or am I way off base?
1: No, you know, look, I mean, I think the reality is that that is uh, the beginning of it sometimes. Um, everybody has different um, pathways through which they get here. But there's also two different reasons why it might be the case why the signs and symptoms aren't being recognized at home. Um One of the reasons might be that the parents aren't paying attention. The parents aren't engaged in their child's life, um that they they don't care. I think that's actually quite rare, but it's not it's not unheard of. There are tragic, certainly tragic cases out there where that happens. I think what's more common actually, is that parents are too close. That they can't see, I mean what what parent, what mother, what father would want to think of their fifteen fourteen thirteen year old kid dying, so there's this there's this psychological block that goes up, this mechanism that your brain, your mind just says no i can't entertain that as a possibility um so i think it's a self-protective mechanism and that's why it's so important for us to train and adequately uh, educate teachers and guidance counselors other people who see your kids more often uh than 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 the parents themselves do Um, we need more gatekeepers out there in society who can see these signs and symptoms coming uh, and then who actually have something that they can do some resource Uh, that they can use to help the kid, and and that's a real gap right now. We're talking a lot about mental health, but the systems themselves, the capacity itself hasn't really changed all that much.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's give out some phone numbers here. The uh, Canada Suicide Prevention Service is at 833-456-4566. Canada Suicide Prevention Service, 1-833-456-4566. And the kid's help phone is 1-800-668. 6868. 1-800-668-6868. 6868. one 668 I'll give out those numbers again before the end of the segment. Also want to let you know that we'll take some phone calls from you. Uh, Mark is going to stay with us. If, uh, if you're a parent, uh, grandparent, someone who has concerns about the mental health, the mental well-being, mental health well-being of a child, of your child, grandchild. If you're a teacher, you have something to contribute, questions you want to raise, one eight hundred two six three two four two eight 263 2428 is our number. Our phone lines are already open. If you wish to make a point, ask a question, share an experience with Mark Hinnick, 1-800-263-2428. Mark, please remind us, please, uh, remind us of of, of your I find this so hard to talk about, of your attempted at suicide at 15. Yeah.
1: Look, I found it hard to talk about for a long time, too. And sometimes when I still go back deep into it, it, it's always hard to talk about. But what I've learned over the years is that it's good to do hard things, that that's what builds resilience. I mean, I was a kid who um, I think survived through luck, uh, through grit and determination, because I had been in and out of hospital more than half a dozen times. I'd attempted suicide. I tried to kill myself uh, a number of times, each in increasingly more dangerous, more intentional ways. I was crying out for help. I was begging for help, uh, and it seemed like by the what I thought was the end of it, the more help I needed, the less help I got, uh, because the systems just weren't designed to help somebody with a with a, with complex needs like me. Uh, and my parents didn't know where to go. I mean, they they were living in the same community as me, so um, I think they were subjected to all the same stigmas and and challenges. Um, fortunately, uh, a stranger, a complete stranger, pulled me off of a bridge, the edge of a bridge, late one night when I was in the, in, the, in the middle of what I thought was going to be my last suicide attempt. And I'm so grateful and will be grateful for the rest of my life that he was there that night because I never knew when I was a 15-year-old kid ready to end my life how beautiful and magical and passionate my life would become. Uh, so I, I dedicate my life now to being like that man who saved
0: me. I've talked to people who have uh, heard you speak and they're incredibly moved by your story, by your ability to connect with people who are suffering and who may be having suicidal thoughts. Uh, before we take a break and then take some calls, do you remember what it felt like to make the decision to end your own life, was it, was it a feeling of, of relief? Was it frustration? Was it a combination of the two? Was there helplessness added to it? Is or am I completely off base with all of those?
1: No, I think it, it was actually all of those things. I distinctly remember being present, um, and it, it's an iterative process. I think it builds up over time. You're not just born knowing how to kill yourself. You practice it, if not literally, then certainly mentally over time. And I remember feeling a complete sense of collapse, like I had no other choice, that my mind had collapsed in on itself. And it didn't matter if I actually did. My mind didn't know that, and it wasn't letting, letting me see any alternatives. So that's what I try to help the parents especially to realize is that kids who do this, people of any age who do this, they're not doing it to be selfish or to hurt you. They they literally don't see any other option because their illness, their mind isn't letting them Um, So I hope that we can help to broaden people's perspective and help them to see that there, in fact, are other options and that it indeed does get better, even if you don't necessarily believe it at the time.
0: What do you say to the young person who may be listening right now, who's thinking of suicide? What do you say to that young person? Won't call, but is listening intently.
1: I think you need to wait that if we were to act on every uh, desperate impulse that we have even if we don't know how it's going to necessarily work out wait suicide is so often an impulse it's a it's a it's an urge to escape i think the pain that you're feeling right now and the pain that you're feeling right now is legitimate it hurts like hell there's no denying that but wait it will pass and you can eventually get to a point like i did where you can use it for good. You can help other people with your pain uh, and then that's what makes it go away. So it it, it really can turn into something quite unexpected uh, and when that
0: comes, it's so worth it. Okay, one more question before we take the break. Over the last two and a half years, there has been a major change in how kids live their lives. They haven't had the social interaction. We know the routine. We've talked about it a great deal. And sometimes I think about, I think that it becomes a shopping list and we repeat it without really thinking about necessarily each time about the depth of the impact on the young person of having their lives so dramatically changed as they have been during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Has there been an increase? Do you sense there's been an increase in the sense of helplessness? um, Just a feeling of, I, I don't know what to do. I can't go on among young people. Yeah, I think there has, but like in so many other domains, the pandemic hasn't
1: created anything new. It didn't create a whole lot that wasn't there to begin with. I think it has amplified and exacerbated what was already there anyway. The reality is we don't know how to talk about our emotions. We hardly even know what our emotions are, or what to call them, to name and label them. So I think it has exacerbated that, uh, and it's really demanding us now uh, to take intentional conscious action toward better educating ourselves and better training ourselves becoming mentally healthy is a workout uh, but it's worth doing it in order to become more healthy
0: we'll take more calls and we'll start uh, with chris in penticton british columbia hi chris
2: hi i really enjoy your program you. Uh, um you make the weekends sparkle i'm the same thank one. you <laughs> anyways um yeah i i'm um, I know all about uh, suicidal thoughts um, in my youth. Um, this is the first time, actually, really going out in public. Um, I, I was uh, uh, well sexually well assaulted, whatever goes with that, uh, with a person called Harry Sod, who is, or, yeah, Harry Sod, who is spending time right now in prison <clears throat> after uh, countless um, um, attacks on youths like myself. Um, and I, there's a lot of people out there that are hurting, um, and don't know where to reach out to. I was very fortunate. Uh, I saw his face, had a breakdown, and, uh, I had a church get involved, uh, RCMP in my area. were fantastic. And after, uh, over six years of counseling, um, I'm actually strong enough to actually you know, make comment about it. But, man, if you're hurting, you got to reach out. Um, and walls are built. Uh, I didn't even realize this person when my marriage was starting to fall apart. And uh, it was this wall that was there. I didn't know it was him behind it. So I've been freed from that. And, uh, man, uh, anyone out there, please reach out because... Uh, there's a wonderful life out there. There truly yeah. is.
1: Mark, go ahead. Thank you. thank you so much for sharing that um, story. You know, people don't give enough credit to what you just did uh, as being as brave as it really is. It's, it's only when you start to share your trauma and, and share what you've been through that you can start to reclaim your own story. You own your story. And I think sometimes victims of trauma lead their lives letting everybody else tell their story for them. Sometimes they're abusers, uh, especially. So, thank you for sharing that. And it really speaks to, uh, I agree with everything you're saying, and it really speaks to the necessity uh, of opening up and sharing. Uh, So many of us are, uh, we feel lonely and isolated, but we're all alone together. (laughs) There's so many of us out there who have been through very similar things to what you're describing. uh, and, And it's the sense of isolation that we can't get out of it that we can't um, express it that hurts us the most okay, uh, but Chris everybody needs to know that there's lots of people out there who have been through it too yeah.
0: chris congratulations i mean that uh, It takes a lot of strength yeah, to do you. what you've done thank you for your calls yeah. thanks so much you know we've done programs on, uh, on on the issue of being sexually abused in youth and uh, quite often mark there are calls that sort of come in from someone you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of age. And decades later, it's still a tremendous hurdle in life to overcome. Jane is in Kamloops, also in British Columbia, obviously. Hi, Jane. Go ahead, please.
1: Just a second. I'm on the side of a road, so it might be a bit loud with the traffic. Um, That's okay. My sister recently died. She was 52, but she struggled with mental illness. Um, All of her I guess adult life, she said it started with puberty. And she was an honor student and a high university graduate, but it didn't seem to change her struggles. And eventually she became unemployable and was on disability. And she was actually part of the opioid crisis, like her death involved fentanyl. And Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what, like I want her death, to provide clarity for somebody. But I don't know what that clarity is. Look, I mean, more than 70% of people uh, as adults who have a mental illness say that their mental illness began when they were a teenager, when they were a young person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she was fully within the majority. And I think that uh, her death has already, uh, just by you giving voice to it uh, potentially helped other people. I mean, I think that vindicates it in a way. It should not have happened. She should not have suffered the way that she did. Um, But I think that, like anybody who loses somebody close to them, uh, you are now the vessel for her story. Uh, And I think it can help you through your grief. It's helped me through my own grief when I've lost people close to me, uh, to be able to honour her memory uh, by saving other people's lives. Mm -hmm.